Good morning. Take a, you smell that? That's the rat race right around the corner. And it's sneaking up on you. School's about to start. We're glad that you're here today. And uh, many of our church family is getting in the last of summer opportunities. So uh, let me ask you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts chapter 9. We will be there before too long. But uh, as you're turning to Acts 9, I'll start with one of those preacher stories. In other words, it's one of those stories that you know can't be true, but it sure makes a good point, so the preacher uses it. And the way this story goes was there was a boy who was before the age of school, but not much before the age of school, and he found himself out on the beach one day, and he was trying to get into the water, and his mom first wouldn't let him, and then she let him. She didn't want to have to get out there, but... uh, So she sent him on so that she could watch. And as he got up close to the water, he remembered something. And so he turned around and he went back, but he didn't get to the right umbrella. And so he walked up to a lady. He noticed that it wasn't his mom. He looked around and he said to her this, are are you a Christian? And she said, well, yes, sir, I certainly am. And he said, and do you read your Bible? And she said, yes, sir, I read my Bible every day. It's one of the things that I do as a matter of my schedule every day. I certainly do. And then he said, and do you pray? She said, I believe prayer is very important. I do it every day, many times a day. He said, okay, in that case, would you hold my quarter while I go swimming? (laughs) Now, I want to use that as a launching point for us. I want you to look around the room, okay? So this is one of those rare moments in church where the preacher encourages you to be snoopy, all right? So snoop around and look around this building and let me ask you this question, please. Nobody answer out loud. You will embarrass yourself and me, all right? But look around and tell me, is there anybody in this room that you would not trust to hold your quarter if you were going to go swimming? Stop looking at me. You know, one of the key ways that we show respect for one another is to trust one another. We started this last week, and actually we're now well into our summer series of values, or as we've chosen to call them, pillars, that hold up who we are. They become these, these values do, become these ways that we choose to do life together. And those values or pillars of our fabric here then create a culture. And so when someone walks in, whether it's a long-term member or a new visitor, somebody walks in, not just in our church, but any church, they encounter a culture there. And that culture says something about that group of people. And so I've tried to come this summer and introduce or amplify, whichever happens to be the case, those values that either we have or we should have as a church that affirm who we are. Now, with that in mind, we're now, I think I said in early service, seven deep. This is actually the sixth one, the seventh week that we've looked at this. And if you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back. I know that it's difficult to listen, but go online and check our website and download or or iTunes or whatever and download some of those sermons that you could put the whole thing together because none of these stand alone. They all kind of interact with one another. 
And last week we began to talk about this subsection of our pillars or values around here that is considered to be respect. We must respect one another. But how we show that respect now needs to come into focus for us. And so we're back to this idea of trust or, as we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about, distrust. The reason I start with distrust is because the reality is that so much of our society is built on this idea that says don't trust anybody. But my question to you that has to drive the whole sermon today is, is it appropriate for a Christian to operate in a way that says, don't trust anybody? So we begin in Acts chapter 9. Actually, we're going to be a number of places. We'll work on different verses through this, but we're going to pick up reading here in verse 10. And what I want you to hear from the outset is that Paul has, actually his name is Saul at this point, or we know him as Saul at this point in Acts chapter 9. He's been... Uh, commissioned to persecute the early church. And so on his way to Damascus where he was carrying out some of the orders of the chief, chief priest and, and the religious leaders of the time, uh, he has this encounter with the living Christ. And we call it his Damascus Road experience. And he's blinded by that and he so gets on into Damascus and we pick up reading now in verse 10 And it says, and for three days, this is verse nine, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I'm not doing that. That dude's going to kill me. So is that the way your translation reads? Well, maybe yours reads this way. Ananias responded to the Lord, Lord, I don't trust him. Okay, so let's go ahead and read it the way it really says it. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias says, I don't trust this guy. Well, actually, if you really want to push it, Ananias is saying, Lord, I don't trust you to send me. To a guy I don't trust. Let's keep reading. I'm fighting the urge to stop and preach, but let's go ahead and get the passage totally out there. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So here's the truth that drives 
this today. The pillar itself is when in doubt, trust. But trust here, let me, here's the truth I want you to get. A culture of trust must be nurtured and guarded. And it always produces good fruit. Now we're going to come back and revisit those two statements in just a moment. But let's start with the elephant that's in the room. Because the elephant that is in the room in our time is that one that says we don't really trust much of anybody in our day. You know, one of the realities I'm told, and some of you who own your own business may be more aware of this than I am, but uh, I'm told that it is a very dicey thing that uh, a person who is being asked to give a reference for employment of somebody else uh, could easily find themselves in court being sued over the reference that they gave to that person. Now, my wife works for the state of Texas, and uh, I understand that they have been told the only thing you really can do is say, yes, that person did work here, and here's the dates that they did, and nothing else. So with that in mind, Robert Thornton, who is a professor uh, at Lehigh University, came up with a collection of what he called virtually litigation-proof phrases that you can give if you're asked to give a job reference or an employment reference on somebody. He calls it the the lexicon of intentionally ambiguous recommendations. The lexicon of... Get the first letters of these words. The lexicon, L, of intentionally ambiguous, I-A, recommendations. Liar. So let me give you a couple of them. If you're asked of one of those people who used to work for you, if that person is competent, but you know that they're inept, they're not competent at all, you might say, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. Now, if you sl- let, me, let me slow it down. Okay, These are intentionally ambiguous. So you might miss them. So you might hear that as, I enthusiastically, enthusiastically recommend this candidate and I have no qualifications whatsoever. That's the way we usually hear that, with no qualifications whatsoever. But if you change it, I enthusiastically recommend... This candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. Here's a better one. This is the one who has problems getting along with other people. He said, you answered this way. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. There's more. I'll save them because I want you to get this truth. Even when it comes to hiring in churches with that atmosphere that's out there that says we don't trust, even churches don't hire, especially staff members, but beyond that, we don't hire anybody without checking references. Knowing that those people are not going to give us an honest, okay, let me me back up and say, churches are notorious for giving no reference or good references for bad employees. Because the church wants to get rid of that employee. So we don't want to say something that's going to make them stay. So we encourage them with a good recommendation. We we have a society that essentially says we don't trust. And so we're going to check. 
You know, I, I discovered recently, this is one of those things that gets me in trouble today, and I'm okay with that. But I recently discovered, well, you know that I backed out of Facebook for a while. Um, it was a great, great decision. Uh, but I backed out for a while, and now occasionally I'll dip my toe in the water of Facebook every once in a while, but I don't answer stuff usually. I just creep on your pages so I know what you're doing. You realize that there are watchdog groups on Facebook with closed membership so that they can keep an eye on people that they don't trust. There's one of those for the school district here. I'm sure that there's probably one uh, for government and that kind of stuff. And I find it interesting that we, even as Christians, buy into the atmosphere, the culture of distrust out there so much that we are going to serve as those who will hold people's feet to the fire before we even know they've done wrong. Hear me say this, please. That is the atmosphere and the culture that's outside of the walls of the church. If you want me to really drive that one home, let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. Who are you voting for for president? And why aren't you voting for the other one? And the answer is because you don't trust the other one, usually. So in our society, that is the culture, the atmosphere that is out there. We just don't trust so-and-so. Is it okay for that attitude or that culture to find its way into the church? Should we as Christian people default to not trusting our Christian brothers and sisters? I think that maybe it's a good place for us to slow down a minute and, and call it what it is. And the reality is that there are some people out there that we, in fact, should not trust. Or should we? Let me, I'm going to answer that a couple of ways here in just a second. And the majority of this message is tied up in this one point right now. And we'll hit a couple others quickly as we exit out of the sermon in a little while. But I think that our, our culture is so distrustful as a rule that we probably should stop and, and really look at why it is that way. Because we're not ever going to get it right inside the church if we don't look at the reasons and address the reasons why we are the way we are. And so here's a couple, and at the risk of oversimplifying this, I think that there are two big reasons that we tend to distrust people. And the first one is that that person has a problem or a series of problems and they're the reasons we don't trust. But the other one, the other big one is that I have a problem. Well, not me, but you have a problem. And so therefore I can't trust you. That's how that goes. So the first one is this big one that says that we can't trust each other or we can't trust some people because that person or those people have a problem. And specifically what I mean by that is we know this person and we know that they have a history of causing problems and therefore we know them well enough to say we can't trust them. Their track record is such that says we can't do that or we won't do that. 
Now, here's where I find this in this passage because I think this one is flagrant in this passage. And I want to look at an element of this passage that we don't normally look at. When we come to this, we're so big on Paul and all that he's done, wrote half of the New Testament roughly, that we like to get to the part of, okay, here's where God took this dirty, rotten, no good sinner named Saul and broke through and he got saved. But I want us to own our own piece of Ananias in this. So we go back to verse 13 where we find this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard uh, from many about this guy, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all of us who call on the name. In other words, Ananias says, Lord, we can't trust him. It's almost as if Ananias is saying, now, Lord, I know that you're up there busy running the world and you want me to go this, but you don't really want me to go deal with this guy because this guy saw is trouble and I don't trust him. And I don't trust him so much that I'm willing to take God to task over the command that I have to go deal with him. You know, people like Saul inside the church. You look around and they have a long trail of bloody people left in their wake. And yet maybe sometimes God says, go deal with them and trust them. It's okay. Maybe we find ourselves to be Ananias more often than we're willing to admit. We drop down and um, I don't want to read all of the things that we have here, but verse 26 specifically, here's what we find. And Paul, after he had left Saul, after he had left Damascus and he had done some things there, we'll come back to those verses in a little bit. Uh, he escapes for his life, with his life, and he goes back to Jerusalem. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And so we find not only was Ananias aware of who Saul was and his track record. Now we find that the disciples in Jerusalem are certainly aware of him and his track record. And both sets of those go, wait a minute, we can't trust him. One of the reasons that we don't trust people inside the church is because they've proven to us that they're not worthy of trust. So that that presents us with a problem. If we're trying to build a culture around a value that says, when in doubt, trust people. What do you do with those people who have proven that you cannot trust them? Let me just say that I am not advocating a mindless acceptance. This is not one of those places where we paint with the broad brush. I'll just tell you, as a, as a rule of thumb, if I knew that we had somebody who wanted to work in our children's area and they had a history of damaging children, I guarantee you we would not just accept that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 says this. And I just probably should let you know that in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to send them out into the countryside. It's their first missionary journey. And as he sends them out, he says, let me find it here. Verse 16, Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent 
uh, serpents and innocent as doves. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples, you go out there and you get out there where they are and you be smart about it. But be innocent as doves. And that's an interesting statement that he makes there. And it would take us a while to unpack it. Let me just throw it out on the table here to say it this way. We do not just blindly accept anybody, especially those people who say, I'm let me rephrase that and make sure you get it right. We do not just blindly accept somebody who has a history of being untrustworthy and just give them carte blanche. But that doesn't mean that we reject them either. I've I got to be honest with you. I stole this value. This pillar, actually, I stole from Andy Stanley's church. It's a real small church in the Atlanta area. Um, they have, it seems like I, I don't I want to say that 14 different campuses where they're doing church every Sunday all the time. And so they're spread out. This church is like its own denomination and, um, they do church at a big level. And so when I was in the Atlanta area for a conference back in the spring, uh, I took the last day before I caught the airplane out, I drove out to where Stanley's church was. It's a Friday. So there was nobody out there or so we thought, and there were no cars in the parking lot. And so I went up to the door, and of all things, this mega church with this super well-known pastor did not just let me in the door. Can you imagine that? I mean, look at me. I'm trustworthy, right? I look like I'm on the level, right? So it had to be Kevin Howland who was with me that kept us from being able to get in. So you walk up to the door, the main entrance, and they don't mind putting signs up to show you where the main entrance is. Go to the main entrance, and there's a sign that says, uh, please buzz in. And so you hit the buzzer, and some secretary deep in the inner recesses of that uh, organization's facilities answers and said, can I help you? And I said, I want in. She hung up on me. No, that's not even really the way it went. I said, hey, I'm here. On a, I, I just laid it all out. We were on a conference. I wanted to come out and see your deal, just get an idea uh, of your facilities. And they said, somebody will be right with you. And so we waited, waited, and waited. For almost five minutes, we waited. And finally, this guy comes to the door. He did not let us in. You know why? Because he didn't trust us. And I don't blame him for not trusting us. And so he comes out to where we are. We talk, we tell him what the story is. And say, I'd just like to take about five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, and look at your facilities enough to give us some ideas. We're about to do some renovation work at our churches. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the tour myself. As it turns out, this guy was one of six full-time maintenance guys, not custodians, but maintenance guys. And he said, if you'll just come with me. And so he gave us for two hours, he gave us the cook's tour of that facility. Now, they took us places that normal tours don't go there. At one point, he took us in. He said, now, before we go into this room, he said, I need you to know you can't touch anything when we walk in. He said, this room is where we have all of our video recording and our sound stuff that we use to produce podcasts and videos and all that kind of stuff. There's a million dollars worth of audiovisual equipment in this room. Please don't touch anything. <laughs> so I wanted to make Kevin wait in the hallway. Two hours it took us to get through that facility. And towards the end, we crossed paths with this person. And he just kind of waved at him and went on. And as we got a little bit further, he started telling us about their staff meetings. 
And their staff meetings are every week, and they'll have maybe 40 to 60 people at some of those staff meetings. And he said, you know, it's impossible around here for us to know everybody. And so one of the values that we operate with here is that if you see somebody who's on staff and it looks like they're just messing around, wasting time, trust them to be doing their job. And I thought, that's stupid. You know, when I worked in the secular world, none of our bosses trusted us to be doing company business if they caught us sitting around in the back of the warehouse. As a matter of fact, most of you who work in a secular business know that if you get caught doing something that looks like you're wasting time long enough, they'll either find somebody else to waste their time and money or they'll talk to you about wasting time and money. Our world does not operate under a value that says, if I'm in doubt about what you're doing, I'm just going to trust you to be doing what's right. But as it relates to this, here's one thing I'm going to pull in these previous pillars that we've talked about, the values that we've put with them. We have a commitment to treat people like they matter, right? Ooh, deathly silence. So let me take the question off. We have a commitment to treat people like they matter. And because of that, one of the things that we want to be true around here is that we believe that all of us are in the growth process as Christian people. And part of that means that we are investing our lives in one another another to help each other grow, right? Okay, oh man, I just wasted two months worth of preaching if you're not agreeing. So when it comes to this trust thing, if we encounter somebody and the reason we can't trust them is because they have a problem, there are a lot of those people in this world and there are a lot of those people in churches. We have an obligation to that person to confront them with their lack of trustworthiness and to help them grow out of it. But you see, we don't do that. We form little groups that go do watchdog stuff rather than confronting and helping them grow. But you see, the church that gets this value right is a church that becomes safer. It's a good environment to do growth together because we know we have to trust one another. Sooner or later, I have to put my, hand, my life in your hands. See, preachers and pastoral staff, we get this, okay? Because we're the ones who have to uproot our families and move from one community to another in order to do ministry. And so we put our lives in your hands and say, we trust you not to kill us. So there's this idea that says, I can't trust you because you've proven to me that I can't. So the growing and the grower part of us says, okay, because you matter enough, I'm not just going to leave you out there and talk about you. I'm going to come alongside of you and help you grow in such a way to be trustworthy. We used to have this with our children. Now, my son Brandon is here today. He's our oldest child. He's got his fiancée, Sarah, with him. They're going to be married a month from today, and unless 
y'all talk her out of coming into our family. Don't try to do that. We like her a lot. So, um, but I, so I, and Colin and his wife, Selena, were here for the last couple of days. They drove up for part of a weekend. And so, so we've had family around the house. And it's pushed me backwards to some of those days when our kids were growing up. Now, I never had this with Brandon. I, I really mean this. I, we had issues with Brandon. Oh, did we ever have issues with Brandon? But uh, Brandon was not really the one that we had to worry about going out there and being like flagrantly rebellious. If you were, then don't tell me at this point. But Brandon's little sister, on the other hand, she was conniving. You understand conniving? You know that term? Okay. She was the one who we always knew. She just because she told us she was doing something didn't necessarily mean that that's what she was doing. So I, I had this philosophy and that philosophy trickled down into how I dealt with my kids. And that was when they got to be old enough to drive a car legally with a license, they also got to be old enough for me to have to buy insurance for them to drive those cars. And so I know enough to know, I'm not going to tell you how I know, but I know enough to know that if you get a ticket, then your insurance goes up, uh, theoretically at least. And so I told my kids this, if you drive my car and you get a ticket, by the way, they're all my cars, if you get a ticket then all of a sudden now I'm going to deal with you in a different way. You have damaged my ability to trust you with a deadly weapon. I don't think Brandon ever got a ticket, as far as I know. Never did, right? Lauren, on the other hand, hadn't been driving three weeks, and she gets a ticket. I don't remember how long it was, but it wasn't long. And so she gets a ticket, and my response to her was, okay, I can't trust you now. And she gave me all the reasons that it was a police officer's fault. I know some of you guys run into that all the time, right? Well, he, he, he was hiding. Well, you were speeding. That's how that works. <laughs> and so I allowed Lauren not to drive my cars for a while. There was a very clear response to the way she destroyed my trust. You get that? You with me? So when it comes to us as a church, one of the ways that we get this right with people who have destroyed our trust is we help step into that, not to just hack them to death and certainly not to alienate them and marginalize them in the life of the church, but it is to lovingly step into the mess with them and say, okay, there is a better way. As a matter of fact, part of the way we do church is that we trust each other. And so we work on that. That's the first part of this. But here's the, <laughs> the thing we want to get to now is sometimes the reason we don't trust people is not because they have a problem. Sometimes the reason we don't trust people is because we have a problem or three problems to be exact. Any of the three could be true for us, and so let's work our way through this. The first one is that we have an ignorance problem. The reason I can't trust you, the way this one goes, is because I don't know you. Now, there's some wisdom in this, if it's done right, I suppose. But again, I come back to that question. Is it ever right for our default to be I don't trust you. This one's a little dicey 
So wise as serpent and, and innocent as doves, I think the way Jesus says it, is probably wise for us to accept that. And the, the deal is we can't just say, well, because I don't know you, I can't trust you. Therefore, I will never trust you because I don't intend to get to know you. That gets to next week's value. But let me get to the second one because this one is a little, little more to where most of us live. One of the reasons that we have trouble trusting people is because we've been hurt. And my pain gets in the way of me trusting you or anybody for that matter. I've been hurt by somebody else and I will never trust them and maybe I'll never trust anybody. So Brandon's been at our house. I I should say the way I said it in the first service is probably the best way to say it. That is... Uh, some of the best theology that I know, I've learned from my dogs. So we have a house full of people, Colin and Selena, that's our middle son and his wife came up to see us. They brought their dog and uh, their dog seriously gets uh, into the safe space of Teresa's dog. But Teresa's dog is smaller than your average size rat and so she lives her life in perpetual fear that somebody's going to sit on her or step on her. And so she's very guarded in the way she lives her life. And so it was a little traumatic when Colin's dog was here for a couple of days. And so yesterday about three o'clock, Colin and Selena and their dog loaded up and they went home. And that left Sarah and Brandon and me and Therese at the house. And Therese's dog was especially worn out over the stress of it all. And so Teresa and Sarah and I are in the kitchen last night. And all of a sudden, we hear this piercing scream. Actually, it was a yelp. It sounded like a scream. And then Brandon immediately starts, oh, Pixie, I'm sorry. So what happened was Pixie was crashed out on the back of one of the couches. Gone, crashed out. And Brandon snuck up behind her and just touched her, right? I mean, you weren't even like trying to scare her necessarily, but in in her little dog nightmare, she was at a point where she was about to get eaten by something apparently because it was this blood curling dog scream that (laughs) that is many people so many people have been damaged by other people. And this is is not just kind of a preacher's flourish of speech. This is reality. Many people have been so hurt by other people that they can't trust. Well, I'm not going to ever say they can't because I believe that God is bigger than that pain for them. But I've dealt with enough people like that to know that that pain is real. And that pain is debilitating. And that pain causes many people to suck back into a hole in their lives and never come out for relationships. And our churches are populated with a lot of people like that. I would guess that in a room this size, and we, I don't know how many people we have in here, but I would guess in a room this size that there are many people here, even today, that would fall into this category. People just, people can be wicked 
mean? So we can't trust sometimes because the problem is ours. And notice the way I've said this. That pain problem that keeps me from trusting other people is my problem. It's not that other person's problem. They don't even care. They don't even know most of the time. Some people say this kind of thing is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. We're the ones who suffer from this. And we're the ones who make the decision to get beyond that. But if you happen to be here today and you're one of those people that has been hurt by somebody else and so you're so hurt that you don't trust anybody else who's out there that I would say to you with all the Christian love that I can muster, you got to get past that. And you can't get past it on your own. Only God can help you do that. Now, that one's easier to handle than this last one. One of the reasons that I have a problem that keeps me from trusting you is because of my pride. This is the personal problem that says, I don't trust you because you're too stupid to get it right. Now, we would never say that out loud. We're way too refined for that. But we do this in ways that essentially say, we're not making, and I'm talking about church at large, okay? And I'm not picking on our church. Matter of fact, this is a very positive kind of a sermon, even though it may not sound that way. The intent is we, we get this right, and it's an incredible thing. But I've been part of churches that are populated by leadership that say, we're not going to do anything as a church unless we as leaders sign off on it because we're the smart ones here. And it kills a church. It kills the fellowship. And it damages people. So part of our family gathering in the last couple of days uh, pushed me back to a point. Brandon and Sarah are getting married in a month, and so they're working on getting a house set up and you know furniture and all of those kind of things. And I was sitting there thinking, I've been through this recently. Um, not the marriage part, but the uh, house set up. So we bought our house um, and moved in in mid-March. And now, Teresa and I have been married for 30, almost 35 years now. And uh, so it's not like the first day that we've decided we need stuff in our house. But we moved from where we were living in Beaumont to this house we bought. And all of a sudden, we needed new stuff. Okay, so guys, all you who are married out there, let me do you a service and give you a little free marriage counseling here. I got this from my dad, actually, and I didn't realize how smart it was until I started talking yesterday, and uh, it just took me back, not that anything they were doing or saying, uh, it just took me back some stuff my dad told me, and that that was this. Uh, A lot of husbands demean their wives, treat them like garbage, when the husband says, essentially, we're going to do it my way all the time. And so my dad was telling me, you know, son, I learned with your mama a long time ago that when it comes to stuff around the house, um, if she wants it, we do it. <laughs> Ladies, don't sharpen your elbows, hold them close. And so here's the deal as it relates to us. We moved into this house out here and Teresa says, first rattle out of the box. Teresa says, well, we need new uh, bath mats and shower curtains. Now, all right, so total, 
Total disclosure here. I'm thinking to myself, if you would take care of the water while you get in a shower, you don't need a shower curtain at all. If you just make sure that you push it towards the wall and you don't throw water everywhere, you can save money by not having to buy a shower curtain if you just conserve while you're in the shower. Doesn't that sound smart? <laughs> and all the women are going. Okay, so I was smart enough not to go there, but I wasn't smart enough in my head. I didn't say this out loud. In my head, I was saying, now, wait a minute. We need a new shower curtain, but I know we have a shower curtain because I boxed it up myself and moved it out there myself. So why do we need a new shower curtain just because we have a new bathroom? And you know the answer to that? Mind your own business, boy. Buy her a shower curtain if that's what she wants. So did you get a new shower curtain? Daggum right, she got a new shower curtain. Right? $200. Well, it was more than just a shower curtain, I'm sure, but... uh, all right, so let me, let me translate that into how sometimes we do our families, okay, guys? If I buy into this, that says I don't trust you with the money in our house, therefore we're gonna do it my way, always my way. We demean our wives and we treat them like they don't matter. If you... <laughs> I can see it now. Beth, Bath, Bed, Bath, and Beyond is fixing to have a run on shower curtains this afternoon. <laughs> this, this is the part that we, we slip into if we're not careful. I'm the smart one, so I'll make the decisions. That means I don't trust you because you're stupid. And wherever else, if there's anywhere else that that's okay, it's never okay in a church. Never. And yet we easily slip into a thing that says, well, you had not been around here, so you don't know things well enough, so you can't do that. And I'm not talking about any specific issue in our church. You need to know that. I'm just talking across the top in the theoretical side of this that so quickly becomes very practical in most churches. One of the things that they tell young preacher boys in seminary is that whatever, you, you never get fired for bad theology. You always get fired for not knowing the political systems of a church. And the political systems of a church often are populated by people who say, you're stupid, I'll make the decisions. And that destroys the fellowship of a church. And it reinforces a whole approach that says, well, we'll just slip off over here and we'll do our thing and there's no unity in the church. So here's what I've said, back to where I started. A culture of trust must be nurtured. And when it's created, it has to be guarded. We have to trust each other. So how do you overcome it? I'll say this very quickly and then we'll close. Verse 17 again. There's two biblical examples out of this little story that help us move past unhealthy functioning. The first one is in verse 17. I've already looked at it. And that is Ananias. God says to Ananias, hey, I want you to go over here. Trust me to give you this message to go over there and do this. Ananias did not trust Paul. But he did listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 17, so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately it changed for Saul. Ananias, listen to the Holy Spirit. The way a church gets this right and keeps it right is it has people in the church who are consistently listening to the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're smart, it's that he's smart. And we follow what he says. After all, it's his church, right? Right, whether you agree with it or not, that's right. And so here's another one, verse 27. And I don't have time to read all of this, but I'll just give you verse 27. Not only do we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, we also need people who will vouch for other people. But Barnabas took him And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so then we see Paul's ministry begin to take off. And before it's all said and done, this same Saul who had persecuted the church and was not worthy of trust. God encountered him on the road, changed his life. Ananias listened to what God had to say. He stepped into that mix, even though Paul was not trustworthy. And Ananias stepped in and God did a work in Saul's life immediately. And those people didn't trust him. And so finally, they began to trust him because he proved himself over and over. And so the authorities are trying to kill him. This is stuff we didn't read today. And so then he's escaped from that town of Damascus and he goes back to Jerusalem and that church didn't trust him. And Barnabas stepped in and said, you know what? God's in this. Let's trust him. And half of the New Testament ultimately was written by that guy who in the early days nobody would have trusted. That's how it ought to be for all of us. We start off the unknown, the untrustable. Maybe we start off as the one who has killed our trustworthiness because of the way we have behaved. But because we are a growing people committed to one another under our commitment to Christ, we grow and God changes the world. Last week I ended by talking about fruit salad, how awesome it is when God pulls people together and we respect one another and we compliment one another and the ministry flourishes. I'm told, not that I creep or anything like that, but one of our church members posted a picture of fruit salad yesterday and referenced last week's sermon. She's an intelligent person, So I take that picture and I remind us of this truth. We cannot enjoy fruit salad as a church without trusting the cook. And God says, this is my family. You trust me to do what's right with my family. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us as individuals. He speaks to us as a community And when we get it right and we get along together and one fruit (laughs) complements the other fruit in our church and we trust each other, God does incredible things. The fruit always is good. So let's pray together. And as we pray, let me ask you, how is it 
with you. Do you find it difficult to trust other people? Have you been burned so badly by other people, even church people, that you're always on guard? Whether it's in your business or in your family or in church even, there's always that fear that you have that somebody else is going to get close and do damage. You know that there's a better way to live and you can let that stuff go and I strongly encourage you to turn that over and let God begin to heal you from that. There's a much freer way to live. Maybe you've run into a brick wall in your life and the first level of trust you've got to get to is the one where you trust Jesus Christ to give you life in the first place. You know, you know that's what you need to do. You just haven't been willing to do it. Maybe you don't trust him enough. Give him a shot. Let him prove himself to you like he has done for so many of us. For us as a church, we as individuals and we as a community make the commitment to trust each other. And if you've been one of those who has been damaged by somebody else, maybe it'd be a good time for you to start the process of healing that. If you've been the one who is untrustworthy and you know you are, maybe it's time for you to begin the process and going to some people and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm gonna do better. Whatever the case, now's the invitation time where you do business with God with whatever it is he's saying to you. And so, Father, we give you this time. We pray that you would change lives even now for your glory in Jesus' name.